Good evening. How are you guys? Good. Good. I know you're all mingling. We'll, we'll mosey back to our, uh, our, our seats. That's fantastic. It's, uh, it's bright up here. Hey, for those of you who don't know me, again, my name is Jason McMaster, and yeah, I had the privilege of uh, actually having Sarah Sawinski in my eighth grade Bible class way back in the day, and uh, Brian Williams and I went to Costa Rica, and we've got some awesome pictures of us together. Uh, he can show you those another time. Um, but we had a blast, actually. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I did college ministry here at Calvary for a long time. Uh, some of you I heard I uh, met are from Bel Air, so Drew Sams was on staff with me at that time. That was a good era. Um, but our college group was in a much different room. This is, this is actually really cool. Um, and, and the worship band, you guys are awesome. So thank you. Uh, Sarah, you guys were talking about how you were in Israel. I remember about 20 some years ago, I got to go to Israel. And what I loved about uh, being there was it put the Bible from black and white into color. And then every time I read scripture and I went to those places, now when I read it, I can actually visualize where that was and like where Elijah calls down fire uh, with the false gods and all that stuff or where Jesus turns the water into wine, his first miracle. Dude was a partier. It was good stuff. Um, it was great. But uh, I remember, I don't know if you've ever been somewhere uh, out of state or in another country and you went to go to some like a store or a restaurant and you went in kind of wondering if it was going to be a little bit different and kind of expecting the same thing. But one night I was in Jerusalem and Jenny and uh, John Nungester and I, uh, some of you know John, were uh, at this really fancy hotel, and we were like in our young 20s at the time, and they had these little fancy foods, and it was really gross looking. They had cow tongue, and I was like, nah, I'm out. Um, and so we went for a walk in Jerusalem, and it was really cool. Jerusalem has a feel like New York City, but it's hard to uh, describe if you haven't been there. It just kind of like grabs you, and you feel like you're somewhere obviously very important. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It has a feel to it. Um, so we were walking through this old town, and, and I just casually said, hey, let's go to McDonald's. There's a Mickey D's right there. And so we went in. It was that or cow tongue. And uh, I was like, nah, I don't want to taste anything that can taste me. So we went into Mickey D's, and uh, I walked in, and it was kind of cool. Like everything was in Hebrew, and you kind of checked it out. And uh, I remember I had like instead of a Big Mac, it was like a McDavid. And I was like, ah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> And, uh, and then I was looking at the, like, the kid's meal could, came with grape juice. And I was like, oh, ooh, grape juice. It says 7% alcohol. And I was like, that would not fly in the U.S. That's really interesting. And I got, like, a, I got the Happy Meal because it came with a little Snoopy with a yarmulke. It was really cool. I still have it. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So we did that, and I thought, okay, that was really cool. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever been somewhere and you went, that's, like, not at all like what it's supposed to be. I went to China with a guy named Jim Lee uh, from Oaks, and we went for a couple weeks, and we were up uh, near the North Korean border in a town called Yanji. And I hadn't eaten much on this trip. The food and I weren't doing so well. And somebody said, there's a KFC. And I went, yes. Now, I don't really eat at KFC normally, uh, but it, you know, it has those 11 herbs and spices. And I was thinking, man, I want to pull that chicken and eat those little spicy mashed potatoes. So... We go into KFC, and it had like a weird smell. I mean, it had like the, the kernel and everything, and it had the menu, but it smelled weird, and I was already worried. And then they like bought chicken and brought it on the bus, and it looked like, I don't know, if you, like Willy Wonka took an everlasting gobstopper and put chicken nugget together, and then you went here. 
And it was like this hard, nasty, crunchy thing that I'm not even sure was chicken. And I, I don't know, it was just gross, is all I remember. And, and I know my sample size is one of KFC in China, so for me, all of like KFCs in China are terrible, but that's kind of what we do. So I don't know what your experiences you have in life, but we tend to go, like, you have an expectation of what it should be like. Sometimes, like, if I go to Mickey D's in Israel, I'm like, that's so cool. And then there's other times where I go to KFC in China, I'm like, that's nasty. Um, it's supposed to be the way that I like it, you know? We do this. I remember when I was 10, like, a bigger thing was Coke came out with new Coke. And it was all over the TV. And they had done taste tests across the country, and we were all going to like it. And new Coke was available. And all I remember was this became like national headlines for weeks. And people started taking the new Coke and protesting the new Coke. And they would pour it literally into the sewer drain. And there were like protests on the street about new Coke. I mean, we're talking stupid. But people were really animated over this. The call center got 5,000 calls a day in the first month, arguing and complaining that they wanted the real Coke. We don't want any of this new Coke stuff. Like, seriously? And that's how it went. And then the next month, it went to 8,000 calls, and literally their stock plummeted, and this became national news. And I was thinking, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard. I actually thought it was good, but you couldn't say that back then. And then 79 days later, they came out with Coke Classic, and all they did is took the recipe out of the vault and said, here, we'll just go with the old stuff again. And the, and the stock skyrocketed, and it was great. It's, it's weird how we do this all the time. And these are stupid examples of McDonald's and KFC and Coke, but we do this with each other. We do this with people groups. And there are like massive consequences to the way that we do this. I mean, are we ever allowed to change anything? Are we ever allowed to be like new in a space and be accepted? Are we allowed to actually meet other things and be in other spaces that might be different than us and it be okay that they do it different than us and it not be our way. It's interesting. So our family moved to Atlanta four years ago and Jordan is here so I promised I would say good things about Georgia because um, it was an experience. Georgia's beautiful. It really is. We moved there four years ago. Uh, I was the head of school, well, associate head of school of, Land of Oaks and became the head of school at Landmark Christian in Fairburn, Georgia. And a lot of you have no context for what I'm about to share because Fairburn, Georgia is just some name of a town in Georgia. And I knew very little about Georgia heading to Georgia. I knew there was like Coca-Cola. Yes. Chick-fil-A. Yes. You know, like the Olympics were there in 96. The Hawks were in Georgia. Yes. And, and I knew very little else about Georgia other than it was a state on the other side. And then I also knew that it might have been in the South, and, but it was 2018. So I was thinking, yeah, you know, it's 2018. What's it really going to be like? I mean, come on, it can't be that bad. It was pretty, had seasons, um, seasons of uh, cold weather. When it's 12 degrees out, I actually don't get it. I ask the Lord later when we get to heaven, why 12 when it doesn't snow? I don't understand. But um, it's, inter it's interesting. They had sweet tea. Sweet tea was amazing. But some of the things that were different would be like when you first got to Georgia or for the next four years, people would greet me by asking me, hey, blah, 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 blah. So what church do you go to? 
Okay, I go to Passion City Church. And then they would go, oh, yeah, we go to Southside. That's Andy Stanley's church. And they would invite you to their church because their church is, like, really cool and amazing. And so I got invited, what, 50, 60, 70 times to different churches um, while we were there already saying we attend Passion City Church with Lily Giglio. And, and then they would tell you about the mission trips they all do, kind of making sure that, they, that you knew that they were these amazing Christians. Like, oh, our family goes to Haiti. I'm like, good for you. You know, like it was interesting. Um, so that was interesting. And then I made the mistake always at the beginning when they said, oh, where are you from? Don't ever say this, ever. Oh, we're from California. Like one in a hundred would be like, oh, that's awesome. I've always wanted to go there. 99 out of 100 was like, oh. Ladies had a different phrase. They'd say, oh, bless your heart. And it was with incredible sarcasm, which doesn't play well in the South at all, sarcasm. But bless your heart does. I don't get it. I was like, how do they watch Friends or The Office? Anyway, so it's like very literal. But bless your heart had about 20 different meanings, usually negative. So from California, oh, bless your heart. Do they have churches in California? You're, you're the head of Landmark Christian School. You're a Christian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever to Francis Chan? Oh, Francis is from California. No, he's in Asia right now. Like, oh, okay, it's true. It was like, Darn. but it's true. So when we lived there, we were there. I was thinking, okay, I'm at Oaks. We're going to help this school. We're going to help turn it around. We're going to create these cool academies. We're in the middle of... Fairburn, 10 minutes south of Atlanta, Hartsfield, Jackson, the busiest airport in the world. 10 minutes south of Hartsfield, Jackson is a town of 10,000 people, predominantly African-American, and the average house was about $60,000, $70,000 around our school. About five minutes away is Peachtree City, and the average house is about four to 500000 and it's 95% white. So it's a fascinating setup. It'd be like going from like Newberry Park to T.L., and you're like, what? So that was different. Sunday mornings were different. You would go to church, and it was either like the all-white church or the all-black church. And you're like, well, that's different. So I was in Fairburn, Georgia, at Landmark Christian School, in a school, when I got there, that was 70% white, in a town that was well over 90% black. Very fascinating dynamic. And I know that you all were here, but I was there while we were trying to say, I was sitting there saying, hey, everybody's welcome to our school. This is a Christian school, which meant everybody had to be a Christian. So now we're talking about, as I talk about what we're going to share tonight, Christians. And what I experienced with Christians at an all-Christian school, as we shifted from being about 70% white and 30% black to being about 50-50, and you would have thought that I had moved heaven and earth in the worst way possible if you happen to be a white Christian at the time. 2018. In my office, I would get people who would pound on my table, scream at me, yell at me. I had death threats to me and my family. I had phone calls asking me to, like, please move back to California with all my progressive liberalism. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It was unreal. The unhealthiness that was there is no different than the unhealthiness that we see all over the place. It just plays out different. But what I saw there were whites who I was telling you who wouldn't ever say, 
man, you know, Dr. McMaster, we're so much better than them. We as white people are just better than black people. Never heard that. Not literally. That's what they said when they would say, well, Dr. McMaster, I just don't know how they got in here. How do they afford this? Are they qualified to be here? Lots of... And you have a reaction right now, I'm sure, going, well, that's just wrong. You hear the preconceived prejudice, right? And yet when I would say I'm from California, most of the people in Georgia would look down on you thinking everybody in this room probably isn't really a Christian and probably really doesn't love the Lord. Really, you might call yourself a Christian. You're probably culturally a Christian, but you're not really a Christian. And yet you're just some... Just, man, just fall off the earth, kind of into the ocean stuff. We heard that a lot. It went both ways. So African Americans would talk to me and tell me how much they mistrusted and disliked the white community. And I thought, I would too. So we have three girls, and I have an older son named Balfour from Ghana. And he moved uh, to, to live with us when he was about 12, 13 years old. And he went to Oaks and then Vanderbilt. And now he's at Princeton. But his first year of Landmark, working with us, he decided to come and start an engineering academy. Um, contained a space where he was pulled over six times by the police. And twice pulled out of his vehicle just to be searched. For probable cause. Probably because what? His name was Balfour. We called him B. So we literally just said, yeah, you were driving while being B. Um, and it really, literally and metaphorically was both. Scared him to death. My uncle was the sheriff of Ventura County. I have best friends who were police officers. For me growing up, the police were the good guys. For the African-American community that I was serving, I was hearing story after story after story firsthand of telling me how it was the opposite for them. My heart had to increase because my preconceived ideas about all of this stuff also had to change. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I had to start listening. We had students who came into our backyard, and one by one they shared their story right during the racial tensions across the United States. Ahmad Arbery happened an hour from where we were. George Floyd happened, obviously, on national television. I, we saw it firsthand how that impacted all the communities. And both communities had two very distinct and different reactions and had very different and distinct narratives. And so that, that was tough. So we listened to the students in our backyard one by one by one share pretty negative experiences from friends that had said things or a teacher and the use of the N-word in their life with, for all of them, they had heard it 100%, every single one of them, in a negative way towards them. And I was sitting there thinking, my mind and heart are blown. This is 2020. I couldn't believe it. And at the same time, you're probably going, yeah, but this is everywhere, not the racial unhealthiness, the division is everywhere. I mean, yeah, where we were had a preoccupation with the Civil War and the Confederacy. I was like, that's over for a long time ago. Y'all lost, but that didn't go over. You can't say that in the South. Um, even having conversation about LGBTQ and actually having intelligent, loving conversation as Christians wasn't 
discussed or embraced. If you were a kid and I was their head of school and they were struggling with anything that they were going through and wondering and, and having these conversations and, man, it was almost like scared to death to have a conversation in a Christian setting. That broke my heart. Listening to people talk about immigrants, whether they're legal or illegal. Listening to people say, go back to your own country. Listening to people say, go learn English. It was horrific. Horrific. And here I was in Fairburn, in Fulton County, where my school was 50% white, 50% black, the only private Christian school in the state of Georgia, period, that was like that. So I was thinking we're going to make this a model like for like the, like this will be the model. We can do this for the Lord. And then we had an election. So half my school is apparently really Republican and half my school is really Democrat. That was fun, right? And everybody's watching Fox News and CNN and like, stop, turn off the TV. And the kids didn't even know what to believe because then we kept it as adults saying, well, it's all fake news anyway. So who are they supposed to trust? All the adults screaming at each other or the fake news that they might be listening to? If you're a kid, I don't know how you guys were able to listen to us. It was like a mom and a dad screaming at each other in front of you. It was really unhealthy. The division in the church. This was the Christian church. It is the Christian church now. It's not new, though. I think if you want to demoralize the church, you divide the church. I think if you want to distract the church, you divide the church. I think if you want to destroy the church, you divide the church. It's not new. You guys are going to study the book of Romans. It's an awesome book. Amazing book. It's probably the most appropriate book to be studying right now in U.S. history, global history, right now, period, because Paul is literally trying to address the division in the Christian church, big time. And he sets out this incredible logical path of everything from how we become Christians, and we'll go through it real quick. So check this out. So Paul, who's Paul? Some, most of you in the room know who uh, Paul is, but just in case you don't know, the author was Saul of Tarsus, right? He's a Pharisee, he's Jewish, but he's Roman. He's like mixed up. But he starts off actually helping persecute Christians because he sees them as a political threat to the Roman Empire, right? And so he's there. I mean, some of you know who Stephen is. He's there when Stephen is killed and stoned, and he gives approval to this. And then Saul meets Christ. And in a most powerful way, this guy gives his life to the Lord because he has, he has no choice, really. I mean, on the road and literally says, I surrender my life to Jesus. And he becomes and changes his name to Paul. And Paul, over a period of time, actually then starts going on all these missions to all these other cities because he understands non-Jewish people. And he starts going out to all of these other cities. And so when you read these letters, the Ephesians, right? The Philippians at Philippi, Rome to the Romans. He's writing to all the people who have newly become followers of Jesus Christ. How many people have Bibles at this point? Like none. It doesn't exist. Right? All that they're following in love with is the good news of Jesus Christ, right? That's what they have. And then 
So people are going around and talking to each other and saying, hey, this is, the, and, and sharing their faith and talking about the Savior in their life. And that's what's happening all over Western Europe. And Paul is writing encouraging letters to all of these messed up churches. And when you read it, every single one of them are churches filled with division. Because think about it. The Romans, as he's writing to the Romans, and if you read chapter 1, which is what we're going to discuss, but we're not going to get into it because, man, we've got other things to do tonight. So I want you to go home and read it at some point. Like, you should read it tonight. Paul is so kind. He's so sweet. He's so encouraging as, you, as he writes his letters because he could write it pretty sarcastic. Like, knock it off, you guys. But he says it's so joyfully, so loving, so kind, so patient. Because what he has in the church at Rome are Romans, Greeks, who have become Christians, and a bunch of Jewish people who have become Christians. And the Jewish people had grown up knowing all of the traditions and customs and the law in the Torah, right? So they know all the laws. And then you've got the Greeks who grow up where they're learning like all what we call mythology today right? And they know Greek, and they know all the Greek customs, they know all the Greek cultures, and they speak Greek. And the Jewish people speak Aramaic, Hebrew. I'm sure this was a hot mess. Because if you were the Jewish people, you're like, oh yeah, you guys don't even know what you're doing. You guys are still like following these false gods. You guys are doing all the sexual immorality stuff. You guys speak Greek. You don't even know and then the Greek people are like, you guys are just full of rules. You don't even know how to connect with us. Man, we're just all about Jesus. You guys are all about the rules. Sound familiar at all? I mean, this is what he's dealing with. Because what happened was the emperor Claudius actually exiles all of the Jewish people out of Rome for five years. So the church takes on a very Greek culture for five straight years. And then the Jews come back and go, uh, Paul, we got a problem. They're, they're doing it totally wrong. This isn't how church goes. And that's Paul's letter as you open up the book of Romans. He says, all right, time out. Let me explain something to you, Paul says. All right, look. In chapter 1, all of humanity is broken. All of it. You guys had the law, so actually you're more guilty because you actually knew better, and you're not very loving and kind or patient. You guys are totally, I don't know, but he says it really nice. And then he talks to the people who think, well, you know, he even addresses today's group. I meet a lot of people who go, I'm spiritual. Okay. You know, I believe in God. Okay. Yeah, that's great you're not God. He is. Do you know him? Yeah. Not do you believe there's a God. I mean, geez, like 99%, I think the lightest stat was like 95% of America believes in God. I don't think 95% of America has a relationship with him. Yeah. So it's interesting. Paul addresses that and says, look, if you look at creation, all of God's invisible qualities are revealed just looking at creation. And then he says, look, and all of humanity is fallen, you're all broken, and you all need to be rescued, so knock it off. And he said to the Jews, and you can't be saved 
by just being a nice person and following the law and being, right, just being obedient to the law. He says, that, that doesn't work. But that was their go-to. Yeah. And then to the Greeks, they were like, well, I, what does it really look like then? I don't get it. And so he addresses this and he says simply, look, the wages of sin in your life is death. And I know that most of you know this. We get that. But if you're talking to somebody who doesn't know Christ, Romans is a great roadmap for you to use. Romans 1, 2, and 3, if you read that a few times and went, cool, Paul says it so lovingly and very logically. He goes through and says, look, we're all fallen. We're all sinful. We need to be rescued. You can't do it on your own. You can't just be good. You can't just do this. And really, there's a consequence for your sin. It's death. And death, if you think about it, is forever. So the consequence of my sin is death, which is forever. So that means I have a debt that I owe that is a forever debt, which means I have an infinite debt that I have to pay. And there's no way that I could keep being good over and over and over and over and over to fulfill or pay back an infinite credit card debt. It's not possible. So God himself sends him, his son to die on the cross, to be buried and resurrected, to pay for my sin because an infinite being had to pay an infinite debt, right? When Jesus is on the cross, one of the last things he says is to die, which many of you know means, man, when you paid off something, it was cool because they would stamp it and say, paid in full. And that's one of the last things he cries out on the cross. It's unreal. And so if you have friends that don't know the Lord, we don't use words like sin in our culture anymore. Those, that's like, that's a churchy word now. But you can walk through this logic with your friends and go, look, here's the situation, man. You're, you're broken. It's not. There's nothing that's going to fulfill you or fill you. And there is this God who loves you and did die on the cross for us. And you can explain that because I had people go, your whole faith is based on some guy coming back to life? I'm like, absolutely it is. It's fantastic. Let me talk to you about it. That's the good news. And talk about it intelligently. The church, as we wrap up, needs clear direction more than ever. I'm praying that it's you guys that lead this. Because if you're watching the adults right now, I'm sorry is what I would say to you. I'm very sorry. The church of my generation and older, we mean well, but we're distracted at all the crazy right now. And there's a few people who are like, whoa, hold on, time out. I think the church needs more direction than ever. Jesus was really clear. He said, as you guys talked about up here, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he clarified the neighbor by making sure he told the Great Samaritan story, right? So the Great Samaritan was the people they hated. So make sure that you love the people you hate. The people that drive you the nuts the most or the people that you be like, nope, 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 whatever those people are. You can't be like, well, I just don't like those kind of people. No, no, you're supposed to, no, it's a, it's a command. It's not a noun. He didn't say have, do you have love for somebody? No, he said love them. That was an action verb. And so Romans chapter 12, we'll end here, says this. Love must be sincere. Why does he start like that? You can't just like fake it. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. 
Honor one another above yourselves. No matter what's going on in your life or what's going on in their life that they're struggling with or what sin they're going through, what sin you're going through, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. If people need something, give it to them. Well, they might not, you know, they might be taking advantage of. It doesn't say anything other than share. Didn't say, like, worry about all the other details of that. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Seriously? Bless and don't curse them. And those who just rip on you and pray for them and bless them, be kind to them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. I think Paul's trying really hard here. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. This is the command of our church. Do not take revenge. It's mine to avenge, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Could you imagine if our church actually acted this way? Like the big C church, not just Calvary or Bel Air or whatever church you might attend. The church. If this is how the world saw us, this would be amazing because they would know us for our love. I actually don't think that's our reputation right now. I, I, I hear we're in unprecedented times. Anybody hear that? Anybody hear that in the last couple of years? We're in unprecedented times. I didn't know when the precedented times were. But these are unprecedented times. In the 1960s, real quick, last story, because you're like, it's time to worship, let's go. Man, there was a Cuban Missile Crisis. There was a six-day Arab-Israeli war. There was Vietnam. China was testing nuclear weapons. Everybody was on edge in the United States thinking we were heading to Armageddon. Literally. People were getting assassinated, JFK, MLK. People were mistrusting the police. People were mistrusting government. Church attendance was plummeting because people were watching television, kind of like, you know, fantasy football now. It's the same thing. Youth said this. We see that the church is disconnected. They're not authentic. We want to see loving, accepting, belonging. 1960s. The church decided to do something different, not the big C. Different church groups decided to go ahead and embrace all the crazy, all the mess, all the hurt, all the pain, and say, come here. I don't care if you're a hippie. I don't care if you're on drugs. I don't care if you're on LSD. I don't care. And they just loved on people, and the whole Jesus movement took off, and all the worship music that we are singing today came out of this movement. And it said that the number of people that came to Christ during this time was in the millions. Billy Graham, Campus Crusade for Christ, all took off during this time. When the church decides to unite and embrace people, things happen in amazing ways. So I would say let's get rid of the division or stop that distraction and find ways that you guys can help lead this movement. That's my prayer for you. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He spent time with the marginalized. He didn't care about the Roman Empire. He wasn't concerned who was in charge. Didn't matter if it was Biden. Didn't matter if it was Trump. It didn't matter to Jesus who was in charge. Rome was in charge. He didn't go, hey, take over Rome. Never do you hear him talk about Rome, ever. He tells us to go make disciples and to go and seek and save the lost. And he gave 
everybody life abundantly. We're at an inflection point in U.S. history globally for the church. Now is the time for us as a church to move. We can either go one way or the other. We can either be a church that people see that we love the Lord or we can be known as the biggest hate group in the world. Right? Let's dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion for everybody. I know we're way over. So in Acts chapter 6, if you read it, I know we're in Romans. They were arguing about some widows not getting, there were Jewish widows and Greek widows, and they were ignoring the Greek widows. Same thing again, same, same. When they finally decided to take care of the Greek widows, Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says, and the number of disciples grew rapidly. It's amazing when we stop marginalizing people in the world how fast the church grows. It's amazing to see in 2022 if we stop marginalizing all of the issues that we're worried about and just love on people to see how rapidly the church will grow. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, I pray your blessing over this group. I pray, God, no matter where they're at, what work job they're in, what church they're involved in, I pray that you would use them, Father, to share your love with kids, with their colleagues, Father, with those who might have different, completely different opinions than them, that they would do it lovingly in the name of your son, Jesus, Father, that they would see that in them, that they would see love, that they would want that in their life, God, that we'd be contagious, winsome examples of you. Lord, we love you, and we give this time to you that we worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.